Hey, it's Nick. We got a good episode this week. We sat down and answered all the questions that have been racking up over the past couple months, and we ended it with a good debate on Dyson. So I think it's a good episode. I think you all enjoy it. Also, we're still running our affiliate link with Vasoon. Vasoon creates amazing Heesha assets for designers like you and me who you know, probably don't have the time to create that amazing apartment interior and just want to be able to drag and drop a chair in and make it presentable for a client. Um, I've used their assets in the past in my work, and I really enjoy it. Um, so check them out. Use our affiliate link because every purchase you make helps us out as well. And you all know the deal. Like, subscribe, give us five stars on Apple Podcast. Give us five stars on Spotify. Give us a follow on Spotify. Uh, give us that uh, thumbs up on YouTube. Make sure you do the thumbs up on YouTube. Thumbs up on YouTube is really the big thing. That's that's the algorithm booster there. We really appreciate that. And yeah, let's uh, hear the amazing intro by Kyoshi the Kid. Welcome to Minor Details. I'm Nick. And I'm James. And we're two designers in the big city. Sweating the small stuff. No, see, that's, see, I'll do it with my left hand, you do it with your right hand, and then we high five in the middle. Should we do the swish again? And that's then, a real high five, and, people. Yeah, and then the high five, like the sweat on our hands just explodes uh, <laughs> upon impact. <laughs> Do some special effects. We yeah. should do, get some practical effects. Get a water balloon in here and just smash <laughs> it. Um, it's good to see you, man. Yeah, uh, you're in the city. Back in the city. Uh, just uh, for hanging a limited out, time some, only. Business friends and. Yep, we are in the final countdown for you know Baby Watch 2023. So in the final weeks before this baby comes, we're like, you know, be nice to take a trip up to the city yeah. and. Do all then, that kind of stuff. Then you'll be you'll be busy, man. I'm gonna be very busy. I mean, you're already really busy. <laughs> it's the end of the podcast. It's over. Two kids oh, and it's man. over. No, I mean you should, we, we've really stuck it out, man. Five years going and yeah, we're on five years. One one ten episode one ten. Oh my god, we're super seniors. Um, um, yeah. I mean, at this point, you, we can't stop it. We got to do it until we <laughs> until we die. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's an unhealthy addiction. We'll go into withdrawal. Um, but yeah, man, I think, you know, I, we just did an episode recently, so yeah. we got our updates out, except I I wanted to, since you're here physically, I just wanted to give you the the recent strap box update, let you uh, critique it, see what you think about it, because mm. I don't think, you know, last, I don't know which episode it was, we did look at the strap box and this was the Douglas fur version. Um, our friend Dylan, our mutual friend Dylan, was helping me make some prototypes and was, you know, did a great job. I mean, this one is so nice with this marbled effect. Yeah. Um, but, you know, something about making a product is like, it also has to be affordable for everyone. Right. Uh, and so I've been researching and trying to figure out how I can make this thing more affordable. And, you know, maybe just like to talk a little bit about the scenario here. So the strap box obviously is this plywood box with the ratchet strap that holds everything together. And 
Um, you know, plywood is not the cheapest material. Like it's, it costs a good bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially when I'm getting into like birch and some of this Douglas fir stuff. Um, you know, a sheet of that costs like 150 bucks, and I can get six. I can get six boxes out of a sheet of plywood. So you know, you do some math, and you're already looking at you know twenty five dollars per box to make it, and that's just the material costs. Of course, you have labor, and you also have to, you know, the the, the ratchet strap itself is ten dollars. Even if you you know buy it wholesale overseas, it's like still ten bucks. Um, you know, and so you know everything kind of coming together. I really wanted to make this thing locally because it was, you know, it's a larger piece of furniture i assumed you know shipping would be pretty expensive overseas um you know i've got a, quite a few quotes locally like with um you know just getting it cut maybe even just keeping it raw you know and it was coming out to 50 60 bucks um which you know i think maybe people who uh are veterans in the design industry might say okay yeah that's that's pretty expensive maybe if you don't know much about pricing and stuff then it sounds cheap to you, but um, usually the rule is 4x the material cost or the, the I guess, land cost, what they call mm-hmm. it. Like, you should price your products, retail price should be four times whatever it costs to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, so four times 60 uh, or even, you know, 75 if you wanted to, like, paint it or something is, like, what's that? That's getting up to, like, $300 retail costs. Yeah. And... Yeah, getting kind of getting kind of uh, tough there to, in my head at least, like, you know, would you pay three hundred dollars for a plywood box that's strapped together with a ratchet strap? I don't know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the pricing game—it's not an easy game because if you price things too cheaply, then people don't see any value in it. Yeah, if you price things too high, then people are like, who do you think you are? <laughs> uh, and so it's a really delicate balance. I mean, there's like, I, I feel like I've heard this somewhere. I have never gone to research and verify it, but I think I heard that like Smirnoff vodka used to be a lot cheaper and nobody bought it. And then they raised the price and people started seeing it as like a premium product Yeah, and they started buying it. So like I could imagine... I can imagine like if you got it done locally and like it was just like the best materials that you could get right. for it, then maybe people would see the value in it. Because um, to me, it is like it does kind of feel like an art object in that it's just like, you know, the strap just like takes it over the edge of like being an art object rather than just being you know, something that you would find at Ikea. Right. So I don't know. It's, that's a tough, that's a tough game. Yeah. So, I mean, so that was kind of my scenario was like, I could price it at $300 or 350 or something like that. Um, but then the, the costs of that would be held up by the brand value. Right. Mm. It would be kind of like a luxury thing. Right. It's like this, you know, her, I guess Herman Miller's maybe not the, the best example, but like maybe like Louis Vuitton or something where like the actual cost of the product mm-hmm. is nowhere near what it actually, you know, retails for. Yeah. Um, and all of that is held up by the brand value, not necessarily the, the design value. 
I mean, so if I went that route, like you, I really had to start like questioning the positioning of the brand. Mm. Um, and I am working on a rebrand for almost objects. So that'll, that'll be at some later date, but, um, yeah, it's tough. Cause I never really envisioned doing the luxury thing for my products. I kind of wanted to make my products not like cheap, but at least, um, you know, affordable. affordable. Um, well, and like more so for your personal, like almost object style brand, like if you're selling through, if you're licensing to other people, then maybe it's going into more of like a luxury yeah. space. Yeah. So, I mean, just to differentiate that, of course, like Nicholas Baker studio designs for companies and license to like licenses out. Um, and then almost object is the design brand that I produce products under. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I'm not like a post doing like luxury stuff. Yeah. You know, for licensing, but, um, I love this color combo by the way. Thanks. The, the blue, the blue. I feel like the, the, the birch ply people love people be loving the blue right now. This, however, is one of the worst color combinations. <laughs> the I, black, Black painted. with a white strap. It looks like a cheap tuxedo. <laughs> I'm sorry, Nick. No, I uh, I think good. it's got to be black on black. We all we have uh, plenty of colors here. I mean, there's there's no yeah. It's just got to be totally murdered out. Um, uh, yeah, don't ever do this again. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you gotta you gotta test the colors to know. What yeah, comes not good. even the red. I don't think the red either. Um, I think, but yeah, I think. Um, no, I think this is this is it. I oh, think yeah. the natural. Sorry, I think the natural with uh, with any. I feel like with most colors, but I feel like especially with the blue, blue or yellow or that. Yeah, I'm not feeling that green, but I think I think that's very very nice. Um. Yeah. So I. So that's kind of where I'm at. Is so also just to update you on this is you know the american made version was coming in $60 to make unfinished right and i haven't even added in the um you know painting or you know polyurethane finish so it was like i don't know how much it would be but um overseas getting these made in china is i think i'm coming in around $40 to make everything mm. included um which brings it to you know 160 175 maybe even could go up to like 190. Yeah. I feel I really enjoy being under 200. Mhm. Um cuz I feel like that's a approachable thing. I mean the thing is is like like what you're saying like you the strap can either the strap can either elevate it to this art object or it feels more DIY. Um, yeah. I feel like if you were going to go art object route, you would have to get like a mirror finish polish on the uh, on <laughs> the, the ratchet. The ratchet. Um, I don't, it wouldn't be that hard to do. I think. I. Uh, yeah, it's cool. I. Um, I feel like we're. <laughs> I feel like we're broadcasting on some like QVC competitor. <laughs> well, uh, I don't. Yeah, I mean, this is like the stuff that but we this would is, talk about. No, this is like off the pod. So yeah, this nice is to... this is cool. This this is like an insight into like something that I don't think a lot of especially students are exposed to when it comes to right. design. Um, yeah. If you're listening and you want to give your two cents on how much, how much you would pay for the strap box, shoot me a DM. Cause I'm, I'm curious. I feel like 
Most students are going to say <laughs> the sub 200 price, but is that your market? That's the other question. That's the other big question that everybody has to ask themselves when they're like thinking about how to price things, how to make them, what's the story. It's like, who, what is, what is the market that you're selling into? Like, are you trying to sell into that market? Are you trying to get, you know, younger people exposed to your brand so that then they are brought in and engage with some of the other things that you're doing? Um, or is it, is it about like people, people in their thirties or something with maybe a little bit more cash? They're looking to like invest in objects in their house. And so, um, I mean, that's a good question. (laughs) I (laughs) I mean, I think, you know, I, I, I would love for as many people to enjoy the products as possible. Right. But that doesn't necessarily, I don't know if that's like the right business decision, right? That's the, the designer in me and not the business man yeah. in me. Um, the other thing is I did ask, I think I asked a while back, you know, thoughts on price. And it's so funny to see just the range of numbers that people will send in yeah. I just posted on Instagram because some people would put in like 20 bucks yeah and then some people put in like 300 and it's just like oh wow these people have there's just so many different opinions and it's like right it's almost like well it, you know it doesn't matter um alternatively with something like you did with the yield chair it's like you made an instructional how-to of like how yeah. to make the yield chair so is it is it another case where like, yeah, if you're selling it assembled, it's this price, like based on the materials that you've gathered using local manufacturing, whatever. But then you also like open source the design yeah. plans. That's not a bad idea, actually. I mean, I will say there, I, someone did actually send me a photo of the strap box that they made. They made mm. one. Um, and I, I didn't release the plans, but it's simple enough that anyone could just right. look at it and make it. Um, so I think there's probably some play there. I definitely like that direction and, and vibe yeah. um, of kind of like making it democratic from a, you know, uh, open source standpoint. But also if you actually want the real thing, you can purchase, you know, the one that, that I've designed. Um, yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I mean, we can go down in the weeds here, but I do, want to start introducing uh, digital NFTs that accompany each physical. Hmm. Um, I was talking, I think we were on threads. I was talking to Eric Trine and Eric was talking about um, the Be Original America's uh, organization, which is an organization in the U.S. that essentially promotes original design and tries to fight knockoff furniture. Hmm. Um which is a whole other topic that we could get into of like, yeah. you know, is that a lost cause of a, you know, it's like everyone has like fake shell in shell chairs in their, you know, apartments or you see them all the time on the street. Yeah. In New York. Speak for yourself. I'm an <laughs> ethical person. <laughs> no. What's more ethical, James, saving chairs off the street or buying <laughs> brand new ones. Oh man, you got me. Um, but, so yeah, there's that whole side of things. And I think there's actually a lot of opportunity to kind of tie, you know, a digital token to authenticate of a physical product together. Um, 
you know, I could, I could go on my soapbox about that, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe overall, I'm just curious cause you have, this is the first time you've given me a critique on this latest update. Do you feel like the finish quality and like the quality of this, does this feel like a good $200 product to you or, yeah. you know, like, of course, cause like originally this DIY version, um, that's unfinished. Would you say that would be two hundred dollars, or would that be a little bit more hard to sell at two hundred? Um, I don't know. I think I wouldn't buy it. Yeah, at two hundred, but or, the, or but above two hundred. This uh, birch with the blue strap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think. Uh, I don't know. I I almost feel like if you're going to go this route, I would I would almost see more value in having like this and a, another smaller sized one like that are paired together. Yeah. And that are like 250 or something. Like a little combo. Combo like mm. have a little bit more and then you feel like you've got a little bit more to play with. That's interesting. Yeah, maybe, well, the thing is, is that they're, it's modular, so you could, if you bought two of them, right, yeah. you could do, you could put all the long sides together because they kind of run around, the, the notches run around. Yeah. And you can make a big square and a little square. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. So maybe there's an option to say, you know. $300 for two. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, that seems a little, maybe, maybe too cheap, too. I don't know if the pricing on that, but something like that. Yeah, where yeah. It's like buy two, get a discount yeah i don't know um well i appreciate the the feedback <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's cool man um or do you want to keep this up no, for the no, uh as, as we put down um you don't want sometimes i get so animated with my hands i don't want to <laughs> knock it over leaning tire of strap boxes yeah um yeah let's see should we there was the other thing that I just wanted to touch on, which was the Quest Pro. Mm. Um, and then we have a bunch of questions. So I don't know if we do skip that or skip that for next time or question time. Um, what, skip the Quest? Well, okay, maybe I'll just quickly go over it because yeah. I, I forgot about this update. Um, when the Apple Vision Pro came out, obviously the, or it was announced, the input method was the unique thing where you're looking with your eyes and then pinching to select items. Yeah. Um, and apparently, well, I, I don't know the, the internal thing at, at meta, but I, I feel like they have tested that method before. And for whatever reason they didn't, you know, pursue it, but the quest pro has eye tracking. Oh, um, so there were some developers that just made some, you know, off the cuff, uh, demos of, that exact interaction of looking at UI and then pinching to select it. So mm -hmm. I downloaded a demo, um, and it's kind of interesting. Uh, it's it does it does work. Uh, it does have kind of a tel telepathy feeling, mm. um, and you know these demos were really rough just by you know from from just random developers, and also you know it seems like the Apple headset has a lot more machine learning uh implemented into to it where it's like it doesn't necessarily track your your i mean it obviously tracks your eyes but it's 
Apple's version seems like it's predicting what you want, right? It's like looking into your eyes and reading your mind. <laughs> that's that's essentially what uh, I was reading about. Um, so, yeah, I, I the, the apple of my eye. Exactly. The one. The, <laughs> Sorry, the, I'm uh, a father. <laughs> no, it's. <laughs> uh, the one comment I had about this new method is, and maybe Apple has just solved it so perfectly that it doesn't matter. Um, but the demo I tried felt like you have you ever thought about your breathing and then you're like, mm. oh, I'm conscious that I'm breathing. It felt kind of like that where it's like your eyes are a unconscious, you know, involuntary thing where you're right. just looking around. You don't you don't think about what you're looking at. You're just looking around um, and then thinking about where you're looking at because now your eyes are the input method mm. felt very much like thinking about your breathing. Right. Um, and I don't know if maybe it just takes time to get used to that or if Apple's just solved that completely where it doesn't matter. Um, I mean, I'm sh- I assume it's perfect. So I, I don't really have an issue, but that was the interesting thought on the demo yeah. that I had. Yeah. I'm eager to, I should have let you try it before the pod. That's no, fine. it's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm eager to try on the Apple one to, um, see what it's like i mean all the reviews from people who have used it have said it's pretty incredible but we did have someone in discord already got their hands on it um who uh i think uh was it steve no i think it was uh unshiny jason i think i forget okay i always i always remember people's uh (laughs) handles and not their yeah um oh yeah does live up to the hype that was the final conclusion it's okay it does feel great sweet um so nice I mean, I'm super eager to try it on. Yeah. All but right. Yeah, man. I, I think, think yeah, it's time. It's time. It's time to answer some questions because we have not done that in a while. Yeah, we've put it off for like <laughs> probably half a year, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. I guess I'll read this first one here. Is that a? Is that an entire question? It's a. It's a. It's a big one, and I tried to slim it down. And I apologize. Did if, you ask ChatGPT <laughs> to slim it down? If uh, give us a gist. Yeah. Um, so, all right, got tucked in everybody. All right. So this person says, this is from Kanad. They say, Hey, Nick James, I currently find myself in a situation where I'm applying to jobs, working on my portfolio, and at the same time, uh, trying to improve my design skills. And they go on to say that I've graduated college and I'm kind of lacking the, the push that my professors and my colleagues have, you know, you know, instilled in me to, to improve. You know, when you're alone, it's a little bit harder. So they're stuck. They're trying to find design exercises and practices to engage with on a daily basis. And uh, Kanad says that they sketch every day and read different articles and books related to design. But I am aware there is much more to the craft than what meets the eye. Understanding there's no one-size-fits-all approach. Uh, I'm curious what to learn about your design exercises and practices you engage with on a daily basis. Um, could you share some of those activities that you find beneficial for your skill improvement and how has your approach changed over the years? Do you have any daily practices as a designer that you have used that have impacted your career and how has that changed over the years? Um, I guess very early on I was, I was sort of very, um, in a rhythm of sketching regularly, like I really 
I really wanted to be able to sketch on anything, using anything kind of mentality, which is kind of the core of what my Instagram started as. Yeah. But like just, yeah, communicating through sketching, getting really efficient at it, figuring out like where there's just sort of unnecessary fluff or whatever. It's like when you look at designer sketches, yeah, like there is this sort of like super Cintiq style sketching. And then there's like the really nice, like pen and paper, like minimal line, like efficient use of line work yeah, um, style thing. And so I think I was doing that a lot. I was also like, I don't know, with something like the helicopter project using just like really trying to get faster at SOLIDWORKS and moving into rendering. And I mean, those were kind of like short, quick exercises. Yeah. To but like daily routines. Yeah. I mean, daily routines were showing up to work and like <laughs> trying to, trying to get, trying to be better than I was the day before. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing that I had issues with early on was in my career was just like confidence issues of just not feeling good enough. And so, but I just, I feel like if you do have those kinds of issues, the only way to push through those is just to keep, keep at it and like not let let yourself get too, um, what's the, what's the right word? Like dissuaded or, yeah. or like get too down on yourself. I mean, I still get down on myself for, for things here and there, but I feel like more recently I've, I just feel like I have a much healthier approach to design than I did mm. back then. I feel like I know when, when to stop working on something, when to like move on to something else, like, like how to manage timelines yeah. and like, and, and within that timeline manage like what is possible. Yeah. Do you um, think that's a side effect of having a family and yes. Oh, absolutely. realizing that, you know, <laughs> you're a busy man. And yeah. Well, I think, I think I, I really needed those last three years working full time at Peloton to like, I just met some really amazing designers who were like super organized um, and just like knew, knew what was possible within a certain time frame, And, but also had like, I think a really healthy outlook on like work life balance. Yeah. Um, and so that was really, important to like where I've, where I've gotten to today. Yeah. So I don't know that that's really a great answer for, for this. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting too, because I would agree with you on the early days of, of improving my hard skills in like activities to do that, which was very much, um, daily sketching, doing small projects to improve, my you know 3d modeling or rendering skills obviously you know back in the day there was a lot of the um i mean obviously render weekly is still a thing but there was also a lot of like sketch pages and mm. stuff you could submit to and would have topics to kind of you know 
motivate yourself from your peers online. Yeah. I guess sketch sketch wars is still going on. Uh, yeah, I saw that come back. Yeah. Which is the Facebook thing, which is so wild. Uh, <laughs> like not not meta, the Facebook. Remember the original Facebook website? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, I remember doing that back when I was in Texas, like uh sending no. into that. Yeah, but we like weekly design challenge, that was like Yeah, that was a big thing back then. Yeah. Um so I remember doing that. Obviously that's not a big focus for me anymore. I think there's this interesting thing that happens is, you know, maybe this is kind of to your point too. You reach a certain point of proficiency in your hard skills. And so there's less incentive to practice those daily. Cause it's more about, I, I can, I know the amount of skills required to complete my tasks right. of a designer. So I'm not really focused on improving necessarily improving those anymore i mean yeah well there's that classic meme where you start out uh <laughs> there's that it's a horse drawn, oh yeah but yeah. it's like drawn half is perfect and then half looks like a kid drew it and like the arc of a designer is you start out as a kid and you can draw a horse like really stick figurey yeah and then as you improve to junior designer senior designer you know you get really good and then as you get to vp of design and then, you know, famous designer, you just go all the way back to, yeah. uh, you know, the kid's horse drawing. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like it is that sort of like <clears throat> that mentality of efficiency and like where you're spending your right. time. Yeah. Because I think I love ID sketching and I love seeing people who are like really good at it. And same thing goes for rendering. But all these things are, they are artifacts of a process that is leading up to a finished product. Yeah. And so does it need to be that good? Like it depends on where you're at and what you're doing. I mean, obviously I can remember when I was in school and seeing Fuse Project coming up and they would just release these beautiful like color pencil sketches mm. of in each project like the process was always really celebrated but i feel like at that time in their in their um come up they like that was a very important marketing tool to show hey we're we have a really rich process right. a really um in-depth process of how we approach design so you should work with us because this is the level of quality you will expect um so I, I think it a lot of it just depends on where you're at in your career and what you're trying to communicate with people. Yeah, I think for me now, I would say one exercise or practice that I seek out to try to improve my skills is just critiques from colleagues and friends, mm -hmm. um, especially doing more independent work where you know I'm pitching out, I'm just coming up with concepts and I'm not necessarily working with a client or a team. It's, you know, I need a sounding board. I need sure. other inspiring designers to talk to and say, all right, what do you think about this concept? How can it get better? Yeah. I mean, kind of like what we were just doing with the strap box. It's like, right. I mean, you know, we talk about designs all the time. So I think that's maybe kind of the new exercise that I have adopted to improve my skill set is reaching out to, others and also you know i think reading is a great thing i, I think Kanad mentioned that they're reading a lot so yeah um, that's also kind of 
fits in because it's like if you can't reach out to some of these designers, you can also read their content or or listen to their content or watch their interviews or whatever to kind of emulate what they would critique. Right. And it gives you, if you're, you find yourself in, in sort of an interview position, it just gives you things to talk about. Like you're maybe rounding yourself out in terms of your personality and yeah, like, it's, it's like soft skills. Kind yeah, of. yeah, yeah. Cause, uh, cause I mean, so it sounds like from the question that they're, they're like, they're trying to get hired. They're, yes. they're currently looking for work. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think not only just making yourself uh, a good looking candidate in terms of your skill set, but also just as a person, like, uh, you know, I don't know if this seems unfair or not, but there are a lot of people that when they're interviewing somebody, they're thinking, do I want to work with this person every day? Like, are they an interesting person? Like, you know, what are they going to bring to our firm or whatever in terms of their entire right. vibe yeah. or, or whatever it is? Yeah, for sure. It's a big thing. I mean, that's almost why you have interviews, right? It's like the portfolio gets you in the door and then yeah. the interview is, all right, how do you fit in with this team? Are you going to fit in, right? Or are you going to be, you know, this really abrasive person? Yeah. Um, but I think the 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 last thing that I'll say is, I do, I do always love to see projects in portfolios where somebody has taken taken something beyond the rendering stage, and I, I think I've said this before in the podcast, but um, taking taking things to maybe a works like prototype, just something to demonstrate that there's 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 a level of thought just beyond I've made a I've made a beautiful thing. Yeah. If it's a really interactive sort of thing, like show show the people that you're applying to that you have the curiosity to sort of take it to the next stage to prove something out because sometimes that's the difference between whether a concept gets chosen or not is like somebody has made a prototype to demonstrate its functionality, applicability. Right. Um, it's really powerful uh still like as you as as you progress along your career there's nothing like a physical prototype to sell people on your vision yeah i love that a lot yeah i would say that's a i would say that's definitely something i still continue i mean maybe i don't sketch as much or um do the the render things but i really enjoy just sitting down if i have an idea and just kind of cutting up paper, gluing thing, hot gluing things together, being more free with how I'm kind of experimenting and playing with physical materials. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely a fun exercise to do. Yeah. Great question, Kanan. Yeah, All totally. Right, let's see here. Um, all right. You want to read this one or should I? Well, I can't read it okay. for me. <laughs> that's fine. I'll read it. Um, all right. So this one says, this is from Gene. Gene says, hey I have a few products launched in this year. I always find the few months before the launch to be quite a roller coaster. I have worked only in startups, so it may be unique to the to that situation, but between Q&A, coordinating photo samples, and getting everything ironed out, there are so many cracks for things to fall through. Usually for me at this point in the design 
usually for me at this point in the, the design is done and it's other people's job to do photography Q and a and all that. Um, so I'd love to hear more and maybe commiserate about you others experience with that, with what I'll call the pre-launch jitters. Mm. Um, Nick's days collection might be a good framework for that discussion. And, and just maybe I'm just a nervous Nelly and this isn't more of a thing. Anyways, love the podcast. Keep on keeping on this gene. Hey, thanks. Um, hopefully that was coherent. I think I was like a little bit reading ahead. Um, but yeah, so I think essentially Gene has worked at a place where maybe it, he didn't have to control as much of the, uh, uh, product development as he does now. Um, so, you know, doing quality assurance and photography and checking samples is something that's maybe new and a little bit nerve wracking. Mm. So I'm kind of curious, I don't know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you have pre-launch jitters for products? I think honestly, you'll probably have a better sense of this because I haven't really done, um, a product launch hasn't really been so much on my shoulders yeah. in my career. It's kind of an interesting question. Cause it, you know, I've talked to Gene a little bit cause Gene works at a outdoor furniture company. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, I think the, the thing that makes me nervous a lot of times is, um, the, the unknown of whether or not it will, people buy it essentially like it. And I think that's obviously why a Kickstarter comes into play. It's like, okay, especially with my own products, right? I think that's where the nervousness comes in. It's like, if I'm spending a bunch of money up front to order a hundred, 200, 500, a thousand of these objects without knowing if people are going to buy it or not. Um, or if it's, you know, if maybe people want it, but it's not priced right. Or there's so many questions there that is really tough to mitigate. And it's just always going to be this kind of risk and, uh, nervous situation. Um, and I don't know if I, have, I don't know if I have a solution for that, but I would say like the thing is that I think, especially doing it by yourself, the the nervousness can manifest itself in this prolonged development time. That's what I've found. Where mm. it's like I am still going to design the thing because I'm kind of unsure about it. Um, and I've had a few projects where I especially for almost object where I develop something all the way through getting samples made. And then I realize actually, this is not, this is not right. Like, mm. I don't like this product. Mm. I don't think I should sell it. Mm. Um, sometimes you have to go all the way through that. I mean, thankfully you don't order, you know, a thousand of them, but it's a, you know, it's, it's a litmus, litmus test. Yeah. I mean, there's also kind of the pre-launch jitters around letting someone else take over that, uh, responsibility, right? You want them to uphold a great standard for the work that you designed. I mean, that's kind of how I feel with licensing. And I'm sure you probably feel the same way with, you know, some of the past projects you've worked on. It's like, you kind of have to hand over your baby, especially in, in client work. You cannot, you kind of hand over your baby and then the client is responsible for making sure that it gets manufactured correctly. Right. Um, yeah. 
yeah I yeah don't, i don't i don't know if there's a solution there but i don't like, know yeah i feel like i don't know if this is applicable or not but i i do kind of feel that sometimes maybe we put a little bit too much on ourselves as designers to try to take on all of these things and there are people who specialize in putting together Kickstarter campaigns and yeah. whatever. And I mean, maybe even just meeting with those types of people will help you feel like get a sense for whether it's worthwhile or not. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. I think if you find a really great person that can do quality assurance or do, or an art director who wants to, take over all the photography and stuff. I think that can definitely alleviate some of the, the anxiety of doing it all. Yeah. Um, Cause I just, I just wonder how much we dilute ourselves trying to take on too much. Yeah. And um, I just, you know, I've been thinking about this uh, a lot in, in, um, in music lately. Like I think, uh, everything to me comes back to music. I just like think of things and in, in you analogies. Are a you're a music man. Uh, but I've kind of noticed this trend lately. And I, I think the, um, the music and everything is still really good quality, but I feel like so much anymore is focused on a single person, like, and not a group, not like a band. So much it's, of, now music nowadays is a single person yeah um you know even if it is a band it's all about the right. one person who's maybe doing all the recording everything themselves that's interesting and uh there's a lot of people that i love that fall into that category but i've been listening to a lot of like 90s british bands lately and they are like they're like bands and there's something there's something really I feel like there's something really good about that. I mean, obviously there's there's all sorts of like creative differences and turmoil that can happen when it, when it comes to a band. But I just um I think like you know, you can think back to a lot of famous bands throughout history and everybody is bringing like something really unique. Like you think about the Beatles or like Led Zeppelin or whatever. Like everybody is bringing this level of proficiency and they're creating just astounding music. And I just wonder, like there's this sort of, I feel like there's sort of this modern tendency where people are like, well, if I can do it all by myself, then I should do it all by myself. Yeah. And, and that's the only way that anything is going to get done. But I think, if you can find a really good um, collaborator, then I just think that the work, like, I, I don't know, maybe maybe it causes less burnout. Maybe there's, that collaboration can bring unexpected things to the work that you yourself like couldn't even see. I mean, you're saying like, you're bringing more people in for feedback. Like what, what has the experience been since bringing people in? Like, has that, has that alleviated something for you? Has that yeah. made the process more enjoyable? Like what? Yeah. I, I mean, I think specifically when I'm just doing internal 
concepts and and projects the well i kind of joke because sometimes i'll put this on like uh you know close friends instagram and do polls just to see what people think but the joke is is like the polls don't matter because i've already decided the solution (laughs) you know uh it's more just like boosting the my confidence in my decision um boosting your confidence or your defiance yes you go against i feel like there's a few things that a few few polls that i've done where like 90 percent of the people picked the wrong one in, uh, in my opinion you know it's like oh gosh um but yeah i think uh i think a lot of it is just this uh having a little bit of a a boost in confidence and from a trusted person. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I think that's the tricky thing is bringing on another person to help with Q and a or, or whatever it is, you know, art direction, you have to have trust and really admire their work. If it's, mm-hmm. if, it, if it's just you trying to hire someone so that you can um, ease your workload, I think that is, tricky situation where it could actually make things worse right where maybe you hire not a bad person but like an average person and then you're looking at the work and being like okay it should be a little bit this way it should be that way i think it i think it should be improved should improve i think the solution is to find the the person that can really hit it out of the park that really complements your skill set and really adds to it and not necessarily takes away workload and i think you have to find that person to add to the project yeah i don't know yeah i mean i think about like collaborating with somebody like derek elliott yeah mm-hmm. it's like what you're getting back is first of all something that you are totally incapable of at least i can speak for myself with yeah. the helicopter uh animations it's like i can't do any of this but also like derek adding his own creative direction to the project just made it like that much richer. And I don't know, it's, um, it's cool when you can collaborate with somebody who sees something like they, they are invigorated by your work and use that to push it further. Like that's, I don't know. That's a lot of, that's just a lot of fun. And the, the end result is something that you couldn't have even expected. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's the best way to do it. Yeah. It's also really hard to find those people, but yeah, it's like, it's really hard to find a good therapist for yourself. (laughs) Like (laughs) the first time I went to go see a therapist, for like my anxiety, he made me so much more anxious, like leaving. Oh I was like, I, I don't think I should go back to this person. Um, yeah. Thanks for the, the question, Gene. Yeah. I don't know how much that helps, but, uh, <laughs> I think, yeah, part of the question was just to commiserate. So I think we definitely did that. Um, all right. Next question. This one is from Josh. Josh says, I loved listening to you guys talk about sketching in Google Slides and quote-unquote Zoom sketching. I work as an industrial designer at a consultancy, and we use Miro heavily. We do a lot of mouse sketching, but with the Miro app, it allows us to sketch with iPad over images and directly in front of clients during team calls. What are your thoughts on apps like Miro and other online whiteboard tools? Love the podcast. Thanks, Josh. I 
love Miro. Yeah, I feel like this is a question for you. Miro, I got exposed to it when I went full-time at Peloton. I think it was around the time that they started using it, especially around the pandemic for yeah. collaboration. But to me, Miro is, it feels like the way that my brain actually works, like the way that I can drop things in and organize it. Like there is a very... I mean, there's a very loose organization to the board, yeah. but um, I just find it to be a very powerful tool for like collecting things and also for presenting because it feels because of things like being able to sketch on the board and add post-it notes and things, if you're presenting to your team or whatever, it's a, it's very convenient to add notes mm. to to the board to sketch over things to be to say you know duplicate a rendering and then sketch over it a little bit and it's all there it's all contained within the board yeah so it's not like something where you are having to having to go to a couple different places to find all the feedback for what it is you're working on, but it's all there. It's all contained there. And I think I just, I love it as a, as a tool. Have you tried Figma? I haven't tried Figma. Okay. I've heard it's good. I've, I've, I know people who use that over Miro right. and it seems like even some people use it as a substitute for illustrator yeah. in some ways, which is really interesting. And also, um, Apple has their own Miro-ish thing. What's it called? Uh, I think it's called Freeform. Interesting. Okay. Um, and it's got some... Oh, I think I have seen that. I, it's got some interesting features to it as well. Uh, I just... Yeah, I think it's a really great place for collaboration, for, um, for iteration, for notes. Like, it covers so many bases for me. Um, and I know that the people at, you know, at Remcon right now, whenever I use it, they're, they love it. They love seeing that the notes are, are, are going directly onto the slides, the sketches, whatever they, they can follow along as to, um, what's being recorded right. and know that that stuff is not just going to get lost in a dock somewhere. Do you use, do you present presentations out of Miro. Mm -hmm. So you create a deck yeah. of concepts yep. and then you present it. And then you can also zoom out of the presentation and then there's probably like brainstorm sessions and everything else in there. Yeah. Is that kind of the vibe? It's uh, it's not too dissimilar when you're presenting in it. It's not too dissimilar from, do you remember Prezi? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not too dissimilar from that. Although you can just go into pure presentation mode and it will just it'll present like a, um, like a PDF, like a PDF okay. and you can export your slides as PDFs. Okay. Um, they've also started adding some AI tools into there. So one of the things you can do is you can bring in, um, a photo or an image and they have, uh, an AI that will remove the background from mm -hmm. that image. Okay. Um, so you can basically make your own PNGs, uh, in there with transparent backgrounds. Interesting. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I really enjoy it a lot. I think it's a really great, a really great tool. Just 
you know, if it's just for yourself or for team collaboration. Do you have, does each project go in their own board? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Each project gets its own board. And sometimes, sometimes I feel like I've, I've like overloaded a board. Um, some, one of the things is that your board can definitely get uh, too heavy with, with large files okay. and then it gets a little difficult. And so one of the workarounds that we used at Peloton, for instance, was to um, like with renderings, if we were doing really rough iterative renderings, just taking, just waiting a minute for the rendering to kind of resolve in the preview mode and then just taking a screenshot mm-hmm. and dumping it into Miro okay. instead of, um, instead of rendering something out and putting right. it in. Uh, yeah. I think it's, yeah. I can't say enough good things about Miro, honestly. Interesting. I've got to, I got to jump back into it. I've, sh- I'm sure I've tried it. I've tried a few other ones. Um, especially when I was restructuring my business, I was kind of searching for the optimal solution for presentations. Mm-hmm and you know creating decks and things like that i ended up just going back to google slides i'm not the biggest fan of that but it was kind of the really the best solution that i could yeah. find um but you make a lot of good point you, you've really sold miro i will i will we say, need to call them up and get a sponsorship that's what i need <laughs> that's what I, I will say the more recently because the because remcon is using the microsoft suite i've also done um a lot of PowerPoint presentations. And I used to, I think back in design school, when we all started to learn InDesign, I used to think, I used to not think that it was worth it to do, like I thought slide animations were maybe kind of cheesy and bad, but now I've kind of come around and I'm like, maybe it's not, if it's done, if it's done tastefully, (laughs) I think, and and like Keynote is also a great program. I think if it's done tastefully, it can be really, it can be a very, it can make for a very like compelling presentation. As long as you're not just just <laughs> putting motion animation on everything and everything's just so, it just gets too overwhelming. I That's think you funny. just have to know how to restrain yourself yeah. from being too, uh, too hmm. flashy. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking about you using PowerPoint in high school or middle school where I would literally like make the craziest animation pass for like images. Or oh whatever. yeah. Just like balls to the wall, just do whatever, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Cause you could, you could stack those animations up and just oh, have pure mayhem. Yes. Go. And, and the same thing when I was talking, when I was talking about Prezi, I've, I remember I won't name them by name, but somebody in my year at Tech... Was it Reach Legal? No, it wasn't <laughs> Reach Legal. Somebody in my year did a thesis presentation in Prezi that was the most dizzying. <laughs> the uh, Just upside down, spinning around. Yeah, the... Um, one of our professors, the one that I've talked about before, Bill Green, after the presentation was over, he's like, Wow. That was something. I've never been in a presentation that felt like a riding a roller coaster. Uh, it was great. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Um. Well, great question, Josh. I yes. I don't really have feedback for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't use any of those things. Um, he got all he needed from Papa James. I, I do. I, I do Google Docs. I do keep a lot of my um, uh, kind of planning and strategy stuff in Notion. 
I mm. kind of have a system of coming up with projects and tracking projects through completion and notion. Hmm. Um, yeah. I've never really gotten into notion. Yeah. And also like organizing, uh, businesses and contacts in notion, which kind of leads into the next question. So, all right. I um, think we probably have time for one more. Yeah, we got, we got a, uh, well, we have two more questions, but I think this one will be a short one. Okay. Um, the answer is no. <laughs> Next question. Well, we could also make the last one short, but I think the last one we're going to have a lot of opinions on. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. So this question comes from Patrick. Patrick says, I know at least Nick has some experience with licensing products. I'd love to hear more about the licensing process, priorities, considerations, etc. on an episode at some point. I have a specific product I'm working on for a while, and I'd like to start reaching out to potential licensors, but I'd also love to get a flow of consistent licensing work. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Y'all have on how to accomplish that repeatability flow um, or specifics to my current project. Thanks in advance. Keep doing what you're doing, Patrick. Um, I will preface this with, I am also very new to licensing. You know, I've only been seriously pursuing it for the past like two years, I would say two or three years. Um, But my flow, how I've created it now is I come up with concepts and of course concepts can come from, or ideas really come from anywhere, whether you're in the shower or if you're actually actively sketching on something. Um, And if I have a good idea, I'll like jot it down and I'll put it into my notion document and I just have it so that it's like a a project um, page. So if I have any notes on it, I can just type it in there. I don't drop in sketches. Maybe that's why I need to check out Miro, but mm. um, I just have the project. And then the the phases are, It's I think it's something like exploration, refinement, pitch deck, um, manufacturing, and mm. then launched, or like a press kit. Um, so if... If a project, like if my exploration phase is empty and I need a project to work on, I'll go into the bucket of ideas and say, oh, this idea, I really want to work on this idea. Um, Or like if I get a client or a brand reach out that says, hey, we're looking for X type of, you know, lighting or furniture, or they have a brief, then I can look in the list of ideas. And so then I move that over and I explore, you know, the idea until I get to a, a solution I think is fine. And then the refinement phase is all about getting that idea to a rendered presentable state. Um, you know, whether that is creating a, th- a 3D model and rendering out, or whether that is actually physically building a rough prototype to test the feasibility like we were talking about earlier. Um, it's all about proving out the idea and making sure it's, it's good to go. And sometimes that sits around you know, in the studio for a while before I feel confident in it. Um, and I think that's also kind of why I like having this stage system where things can kind of stay in limbo for a while until I feel like it's ready to move on. Um, and then everything goes into a deck. And so I have, you know, 15, 20 concepts for products I'm wanting to license in a deck. And then I go through and I look at all the companies again in, in notion, you know, I just have a list of companies and I've done a bunch of research on who I should contact at those companies or where to submit my deck to. And I just shoot it out maybe once mm. a, once a quarter or once every six months. Mm. Um, you know, some, sometimes a, it'll be, you know, 
very specific. I'll, if it's like a lighting company, I'll, you know, build a deck just for lighting or if it's for a company that has a brief or a company that I really want to work for. Or sometimes I think another important thing I do is I kind of look at the company's current offerings and say, okay, you know, what, what would they need in their product collection? Um, or what do they not need in their product collection? Do I have a piece of furniture that is like kind of redundant that mm. they wouldn't really want to produce? So I make sure I kind of scan and, and, you know, skim out any of that stuff. And then, yeah, sometimes I just do the cold email. I put it into an email and say, Hey, you know, love your brand. Would love to work with you. Check out the products. If you see anything that you're interested in, we can discuss farther. That is the process that I have invented that is, you know, by no means the right or, or wrong way to do things. So it could be the wrong way, but it's, you know, it may not be the right way. Um, yeah. So All right. know, that's that's kind of the the spiel. I feel like we've talked about licensing good, a good bit since this question came in. So yeah, um, that sounds like a good answer to me. Yeah. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you. All right, James. Last question. Are you ready for this one? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Did you already peek I got a it? full bladder. Let's do this. <laughs> oh, no. Um, all right. This one comes from Joel. Joel says, hey, Nick and James, love the podcast. I think it's time you guys finally gave us your honest takes on Dyson. Oh, no. <laughs> You've mentioned this a few times, and I'm interested in your thoughts, especially on the new Dyson headphones. Kind regards, Joel. Oh, well, I think we should leave the Dyson headphones out of this conversation. <laughs> I don't think that they... Is that the one miss of the I, whole? Uh, I think that's... Yeah, well, I, who knows? I mean, given all the wildfire smoke, maybe it's a hit yeah. that we don't even realize yet. But I I don't even... I don't think that, that that touching on that is really going to... Is going to do anything for the debate. <laughs> do you want to... Do you need to take a bathroom break? Or you no, no, we can you? talk okay. about this. Right. I'm... Yeah, that's... Um, my 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 bladder can wait. I so I want you because you have you have you're very passionate in your opinion of Dyson. So I want you to lay the the groundwork. Okay. Yeah. Stake your claim. So my take on Dyson is that I think the functionality of the products has, has is amazing, Sorry. and we have one of the Dyson cordless sticks at our apartment, um, you know, and it, and it works great. I've never had one before then. So it's great to try that out. And my biggest pet peeve is, is purely aesthetic. I just, one, I think, I think the biggest thing for me is the colors. I dislike the colors immensely because it feels very, uh, I don't know, like childish or like, uh, random. I don't know. It, the, the the combinations are just purples and oranges and reds and s silver grays like it, it there's just a ton of like it's also very pla it's just very artificial plasticky and it's just over the top ornate mechanical aesthetic and you know secondarily i think the form of it is definitely kind of uh, hyper-functional maybe is the right word uh, almost like not even functional it's almost like it's exaggerating its function mm -hmm. which i have come around to be less critical of the form but i still think 
it would be really nice to have a beautiful cordless vacuum with the functionality of Dyson, but a nice, you know, Muji aesthetic is kind of what I would really love. Mm-hmm. But that is my take on Dyson is that it's just, it's very gaudy and I've never really understood the, the aesthetic. So, mm. well, what do you, how do you feel about the fans and like the hair dryer? I mean, those are definitely a much more tame in terms of the form. I think there's something to be said about the fact that the fan is something that exists in your home, usually prominent, and the, a vacuum is something that's more hidden. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, sometimes people keep the Dyson vacuum out as a art piece, but whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm still not the, I'm not like the biggest fan of the fan either. Really? Again, it's 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 a really great functional product, and we've had one in our apartment. My roommate has all these things, and it, it's a nice functional object, you know, especially like the filtered one. Um, you know, I've seen those before, and they're you know, it's it's amazing. It feels like a nice high tech fan, but it doesn't. F- I don't know. It feels like. A, still feels like this weird sci-fi object in a mm. in my home that never it doesn't really fit although it's not like i have a curated home anyways but mm. in my mind that's how it would work mm. okay let's hear it james let's hear it uh i think you're wrong <laughs> i um i think so to me the cmf and hopefully i'm not um, offending our British listeners, <laughs> but I think the coloring and the CM the CMF I see as almost like a cultural CMF. Interesting, because I just I feel like you tend to see a, a lot of these jewel tones mm. in like if you visit Britain, it's that royal family. Yeah, aesthetic. exactly. <laughs> okay, so I I think. I think that's kind of a cultural thing. Interesting. I never thought about it that way. Um, like, obviously, everything everything more recently has become a lot more globalized in yeah. terms of aesthetics. And so all you're getting are sort of the most, the, like, safe aesthetics. Right. Um, especially when it comes to CMF. And so there's something there's something that I really like about the Dyson aesthetic, which is just, it's a bit more bold than you would see in anything else. I just, I also, I've, I've interacted with other vacuums that are maybe a bit cleaner in, in their aesthetic. And the, while they may look nice and maybe some of them look nicer that the experience of using them is just not as good because i feel like dyson has really honed the functionality yeah i just also think it's remarkable that they made a vacuum into a a luxury brand yeah kind of with (laughs) that aesthetic and i feel like you know it's almost i could i could imagine i could imagine a dyson balenciaga you know, collab with the exact same aesthetic, maybe modifications of the CMF. But to me, like those, those sort of like, uh, 
I don't know what you call them, those tentacles or whatever on the, on like the top yeah. of the, there's, there is something. Like an engine, V8 engine or something. Yeah. There's something about that. That's just. It's like dad shoot vibes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I love dad shoes. <laughs> so I, I just love, I just love that they, they didn't go for a tamed aesthetic. Yeah. I, I, I don't hate the aesthetic either. I think like it's interesting. I don't like, I like looking at my vacuum, <laughs> my Dyson. Do you have it on the wall? Like an art piece? <laughs> we, uh, we they had the charging it, station. Yeah. Right? We docked it in our closet okay. at our, <laughs> at our last place. Um, but yeah, I just think, I don't know. I just think it's such an interesting object. Nobody has really tried to copy that aesthetic at all. Yeah. Everybody's just going total Mac right. direction. And I I just don't I don't want everything in in life to be Mac. Yes. I do want some outliers and I feel like that's a in my opinion, Dyson is a good outlier. Although the fans, I would say, are more Mac than the vacuums. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how they evolve the vacuum. Um, if if they ever abandon that whole the whole, uh, you know that hyperfunctional. Yeah. Know but I just uh, I think the experience also just sells it. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you on functionality. I don't think there's any disagreement there. I think it's, yeah, it's it's that aesthetic. I, I, I think what I would wish is if they really wanted to lean into the functionality aspect of it, I almost wish it was more of a, um, like a machined lug nut mm. direction. Mm. Uh, more of a, I'm trying to think of like a good, like more of like a tool, like a tool you would find in a old mechanical mill shop or something, like mm. a big milling machine. Mm. I think that's kind of the functional form and aesthetic that I would appreciate if you wanted to go a kind of a hyper-functional route. Yeah. But I think they just kind of went this futuristic alien function route with their... <laughs> <laughs> jewel tones and i just i don't know dude the never... 90s are coming back man I, yeah we are I, we are definitely in peak we're getting there i mean i i feel like two th we're getting early 2000s we're, too we're getting you go, uh, to, you go to like lower east side and like dime square people i got those uh yeah but they're always on. like five years ahead of the curve uh yeah that like that uh blob of mercury kind of aesthetic oh yeah y2k vibe yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um but no i i don't know it, it, i just i do you think that if if that dyson came out with a vacuum that was just matte black all matte black yeah do you how would you do you think you would feel better I about would. the form 100 percent uh yeah i i have come around to not oppose the form I think it's the form plus the color and finish that really is pushes it over the top. Yeah. I'm still like the form is okay. I think it would be really cool to have something a little bit more like maybe brutalist is the right word. Mm. Like if you wanted to go 
functional, mm. like honest functionality. I think that's what I would gravitate more towards. This is like hyper functionality where you're exaggerating the function. Yeah. I would like a honest functionality, like a, yeah, but, hmm. but I think like they're an old car maybe. Right. But there, I think they are really trying to sell them. They're trying to really enhance the optics of the functionality. Yeah. Cause you know, if you listen to the sort of Dyson, how I made this or, or whatever. Oh, I haven't heard that one. No. It's uh, James Dyson I, was on. I, for, I forget if it was that podcast or a different one, but it's a, it's amazing. I mean, I am that much more intrigued by Dyson as a person because he literally, I think he quit his job and for two years he worked on nothing but the vacuum wow. and made 600 prototypes. And he used to, what he used to do is like go to his backyard shed and he used to tweak just one part at a time. Oh, wow. So that he would know exactly like if I tweak this part, right. how does it affect the whole system? Trial and error. But then he did, he started direct to consumer with those vacuums, which back then was not, it's not the like sexy market that it is now. He went, he did direct to consumer and found success. And now, you know, Dyson is a household name. So that, that part of it also for me kind of makes me love that brand mm. even more. Well, he's also the highest net worth industrial designer. Oh, nice. Yeah, even more than Johnny. Like, the thing is, is he owns the whole brand. Like, it's, right. you know, it's not a public company or anything. Like you said, he started yeah. it from his shed or whatever. And he, I think we talked about this a while ago on the pod, but he started his own engineering school within the company. Oh, wow. So you can go and train to be an engineer at Dyson. And so part of your work is, it's like schoolwork. And part of it is actually working on products. Yeah. Like apprenticeship so, kind of. Yeah. So I, I just, I don't know. That's cool. I never knew that. I feel like you, yeah, you've given me some uh, interesting little. Yeah. Notes. I mean, obviously all that combined, does it, will it make you like the, the, the aesthetic anymore? <laughs> Probably not, but. I appreciate, I appreciate the company as yeah. like a pioneer. Yeah. For sure. hundred percent from like a business standpoint. I admire that. Yeah. It's just, I mean, those colors, yeah. I, Give me that, give me that matte white or that, that, that matte black and I would yeah. be much happier. At some point, some company is going to come along that's going to get us excited about vacuums yeah. again. Yeah. You know, it'll be interesting to see. Well, I thank you for that question, Joel. I, you know, that was definitely a, a good one to, to end on the, the episode. Um, and thank you all to the questions. I appreciate everyone's patience because I know we've waited a long time to answer those. Um, and if you have a question yourself feel free to send it in my details podcast at gmail.com we'll get to it on the next episode you know maybe we'll do these more block style you know once every quarter or once every six months questions where you just you know nail go through them all and yeah um but yeah thanks for listening as always i'm nick and i'm james peace later